Hi, I'm Wayne Heinsohn, the pastor of Grace Church Australia. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. We hope it is inspirational and it equips you to make known the name of Jesus. You can stay connected with us during the week by going to gracegathering.online. Many years ago, I knew a lady who was a florist and she was an excellent florist. And one day she decided to make a special piece and she went out into the yard and wherever else and she gathered a whole heap of um, vegetation and she came back to her home and she made herself a huge collage and in it she had the four seasons of the year there was summer winter autumn and spring I can't remember which order they were in but they were each a separate unity in themselves but overall they all blended together and it was a most magnificent piece of artwork you've ever seen I would have loved to have had it on my wall but she wasn't selling it anyway so and this was just a beautiful piece of of work and underneath was the verse John 12:24 unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains alone But if it dies, it produces much grain. And just as a seed has to die before it can produce new life, God is calling us to do the same if we wish to abide in him and produce new spiritual life. Jesus tells us in Luke 9, 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What does it mean to take up your cross? Well, the cross was an instrument of death. On the cross, Jesus died for our sin and he expects us daily to confess our sin and put to death any sin in our lives. At the same time, he calls us to be prepared to die for him just as he died for us and as he suffered for us. So there are both physical and spiritual aspects to the cross as it were. Romans 8.13 reminds us if you live according to the flesh, that is if you live as, as a worldly person, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And Paul encourages us. He says in 1 Corinthians 15.31, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, that I die daily. Paul was saying that he was setting a good example for us by daily casting aside those things which were not of God. In John 15, 4, Jesus tells us, Abide in me. The word for abide here means to endure, to dwell and to remain in. As we die daily to the things of the world, we're able to abide in him. Elijah was one of the great Old Testament prophets and he was raised up by God during the reign of King Ahab, the evil king of Israel, and his wife Jezebel. Ahab and his foreign wife worshipped the Baals, who were the gods of the land where the Israelites had come. And... Elijah thought he was the only prophet of God left. He didn't think anyone else was worshipping God. 
and he went to Ahab and he confronted him and accused him of forsaking God and serving the Baals. And we take up the story in 1 Kings 18, 17 to 21. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered not a word. After they'd all gathered on Mount Carmel, Elijah ordered all the prophets of Baal to make an altar, to lay the wood on the altar, to put a sacrifice on top of the altar, and then call out to their god, Baal. And the prophets did this. They called out and yelled and danced around the altar. Nothing happened. And... Elijah said to them, Yell a bit louder. Your God must be asleep. Maybe he's deaf and can't hear you. Yell louder. So they continued to do this. And all up, they did this for about six hours. And at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah rebuilt an altar which had been torn down. He placed wood and a prepared sacrificial bull on it. He ordered 12 pots of water, not, not little pots, but great big urns, poured it all, ordered them to pour it all over the sacrifice, over the wood and over the stones of the altar and in the trenches all around the altar so that everything was thoroughly saturated. And we continue the Bible narrative in 1 Kings 18, 36 to 40. And it came to pass that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the book Kishon and executed them there. Uh, Elijah was a mighty man of God, abiding in him. 
However, when Queen Jezebel heard what had happened and that all her precious prophets of Baal had been killed, she sent a message to Elijah and said, I'm going to kill you. And there was Elijah, this mighty man of God, this mighty man who was just living for God and no one else. He stood there and he heard this message and he was terrified. He took his eyes off God, put them on the circumstances around him and he fled. He fled south through all of Israel, through all of Judah and to the southernmost city of, Is of Judah, which was Beersheba. And in Beersheba, he left his servant and he wandered off into the desert. And he sat down under a broom tree and he was feeling very sorry for himself. He was very despondent and he was just thoroughly miserable. But therein lies a pity for us, warning for each one of us. Whenever we take our eyes off God and allow the circumstances of this world to become uppermost in our minds, we too may find ourselves in a spiritual desert. But God in his grace and mercy didn't leave Elijah there and neither will he leave us there if we come to him in repentance when we find ourselves in that situation. Let's now turn to Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will out of God. As we offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, it's as though we lay ourselves on the altar as a sacrifice. And as we saw with the story of Elijah, the sacrifice was completely burnt up as re was required by the Old Testament law. It was totally consumed by the fire of God. So what does that mean today for us as God's people? As we give ourselves completely to God, as we abide in him, the fire of God, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us will burn with the fire of his love and consume every part of our being that is not pleasing to God. He will highlight every sin and every flaw in our character so that we may confess them in order that his glory might be revealed in us. In his gentleness, in his gentleness though, he does not do this all in one go. We, we wouldn't be able to stand it if he did. So he reveals things to us bit by bit so that day by day we can draw closer and closer to him. We abide in him by spending time reading his word, praying and listening to what he says. Often, often we forget to listen, but we're having a conversation with someone and a conversation is two words, two ways. So we have to listen to what he's saying. And as we abide in him, he will gradually transform our minds 
until we have the mind of Christ. As the fire of God daily falls upon us, it will burn up that dross in our lives and transform our thinking, our attitudes and our actions so that daily we become more like him as he lives his life in us and through us. Now let's read what Jesus says in John 15, 1 to 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bring much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Jesus makes it very clear in that passage that he is the vine, And in order to bear fruit for God's kingdom, we have to abide in him. We are the branches, and of ourselves, we cannot have any spiritual fruit. Anything we try to do without him is bound to fail. All of our spiritual sustenance comes from him, just as the sustenance of a vine comes from the nourishment and the water in the soil. So... We get our nourishment from God's living water. We gain food from the word of God and streams of living water, the Holy Spirit flow into us as we do that. Our God, the vine dresser, prunes us when we need it so that we can bear good fruit. He removes those areas of our lives which do not bear any fruit for his kingdom And if we don't abide in Jesus, we will be cast aside, even though we may pretend to be joined to the vine. Dead wood is pruned out. If we're wise, we'll die to ourselves daily to allow God to prune out the unproductive parts of our lives so that we can abide in the vine, Jesus, and burn with the fire of his love then that seed which has been sown by God in our lives will bear fruit. It will have died to itself and begun to grow into a new and beautiful creation bearing fruit for God. And what God desires to see in each of us is a sacrifice thrown onto his altar, burning with a passion and a love for him, and his fire, that fire of his love, spreading out from others, to, spreading out from us to others around us. 
Over the last couple of weeks, it's probably been months actually now I think about it, we've been talking about covenant. We've been talking about the relationship that God has with people. That it's not just any ordinary relationship. God, when we ask Jesus into our heart, as we accept the sacrifice of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we accept his body and his blood, we enter into eternal covenant. We enter into a blood covenant with God. And so I want to continue a little bit in that theme this morning, but under the guise of abide in him. Abide in him. And um, last time I shared, we talked about that eternal covenant that um, as believers we have entered into. Eternal means everlasting. It's never going to be broken because it's an eternal covenant between God the Father and God the Son. So whatever I do, I can't add anything to that. I can't break the covenant by my behaviour, my words, my actions. I can't break covenant because the covenant's not with me. The covenant is between God the Father and God the Son. And it was an accepted sacrifice. And I enter into that relationship through Jesus. But the covenant isn't with me. I did nothing wrong or right to deserve a covenant. But Jesus did everything perfectly. And so we are in relationship because of our beautiful Saviour. And so we looked at the scripture last time. Um, John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. It's such a beautiful scripture. I read it over again this morning, over and over, going, wow, how amazing that the word outside of time came into the point, appointed time in history, became flesh. I just think, wow, it's just mind-blowing that the word of God became flesh. It's such a beautiful passage of scripture, oh, well, a verse there. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, and he is glorious. He is glorious and all honour and praise and majesty, and I don't even have the words to declare this morning of how much honour we should bestow upon Jesus. He is full of glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And I love that he came. He came into the world. He came from outside of time and he came into the world. And so the word dwelling there, so the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that word this morning. So the word there, that dwelling, okay, in the Greek is the word, you're going to say it with me because I'm not very good at pronouncing Greek and I'm sorry if that's your native tongue. Skeinoo, say it for me. <laughs> Skeinoo, that's how I'm saying it. Probably has nothing to do with that pronunciation at all, but... The word dwelling, so we're looking in that verse there, dwelling. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Skeinoo, um, to await, to remain, to lodge, sojourn, to dwell, continue, endure. That's what it means, dwelling in the Greek. And also, it has a meaning to pitch or live in a tent. 
And when I thought about that, I thought, wow, that's really interesting because it really doesn't feel like it fits with those words, to remain, lodge, sojourn, dwell, continue. But if we think about Bible times, it actually does. So it also means to dwell there in the Greek, to pitch or live in a tent. And so that imagery there is, is um, that God would spread his tabernacle, his tent, over people. I want you to think about it, church. That to dwell, to abide in him is God stretching his tabernacle over people. His protection, his covering. We are abiding and dwelling. It's security, it's safety, it's cover and protection. And to pitch or live in a tent, that's what he does when we abide with him. We dwell with him. It's like he's putting this tabernacle over us. And um, we know when we read about Moses' tabernacle in the Bible, it's there in the Old Testament. We read about the tabernacle, how it um, was a place where God dwelt. His presence was in the tabernacle, a tent. And so when we use that word, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. What we're saying is that God came and tabernacled with us. He pitched his tent of protection and covering over us. And this has everything to do with covenant, church. This has everything to do with covenant. Because our God is a God who established the idea of covenant. That he would be our God and we would be his people. And he doesn't want to dwell outside. He doesn't want to dwell out there in um, a man-made tabernacle. He wants to dwell in here, internally, in the tabernacle. The holy temple, as Lynn talked about this morning, that we are a holy temple. And so that word dwelling, I love it, that just God revealed that whole idea of to pitch or live in a tent, that the tabernacle was a place, Moses' tabernacle was a place where God's presence dwelt. And you right there, if you are a believer, you are a place where God's presence dwells. Right there, where you are right now. And so God has tabernacled with you. He has covered you. As he dwells with you, he has covered you like a tent for security, safety, protection, and a covering of covenant. So I want to talk about that this morning. We're covered by our God in an eternal blood covenant. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So remember, we had a, a holy, perfect, and righteous God who could not come near because of sin. The covering, the sin dominion. There was a sin covering from Adam and Eve. So our holy, perfect, and righteous God could not come near. But it tells us there in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away. We were once far away. We were once far away, but we have been brought near. How have we come near to God? How have we been allowed to come close to a holy, perfect and righteous God without being burnt up? How? It tells us there, church, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So when I saw that picture this morning of that purposeful redemption of blood, blood, 
blood, blood. That's how we draw near. That's how we abide. That's how we tabernacle. That's how we are under the covering of our God. That's how we are in eternal covenant with God because of the blood, because of the blood of Christ. It tells us there, church, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So under the old covenant, the law, we talk a lot about law and grace here. The first covering, the first time the blood was seen was in the covering that God made in the garden for Adam and Eve. They hid from God, they made leaves, but it was not a blood covenant. They covered themselves with leaves, but what did God do? He made them clothes out of animal skins, the first sacrifice, the first blood covering. He clothed them with animal skins and said, now I am covering you with the blood. That's the first time, church, where it began. And he clothed Adam and Eve in the garden. Then the Israelite forefathers were taught how to offer animal sacrifices daily as that temporal blood covenant. So we know under the law, so the first offering was in the garden, and we know under the law that the priests were given that job of daily sacrifice, daily sacrifice, daily sacrifice. Why? A blood covering. A blood covering a temporal covering that could never take away sin, but a blood covering, none the same. And so the Israelite forefathers were taught how to do that, that ritual of sacrifice and offering. And then the priests took on that role continually, continually, and continually until Jesus. Temporal covering by the blood. Covenant with God, but temporal but church, we as believers under the, under the new covenant of grace are in an eternal covenant. We are not under a temporal covenant. We are under an eternal covenant because of what Jesus has done. So as believers, we're covered by the blood of Jesus. And it's through his perfect sacrifice. So the spiritual covering over us is not temporal. The spiritual covering over us is eternal. We have a direct line of communication with our Heavenly Father. He can abide and tabernacle with us. The Holy Spirit can come and live inside of us. When we ask Jesus into our heart, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit come and live inside of us? Because there is an eternal covenant a covering of the blood, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit would have to dwell out there. It's his blood that has established this connection with our beautiful God. And I love that it's no longer um, temporal. I love that it's eternal. I don't have to worry I don't have to think, has God turned his back on me? Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus' perfect sacrifice. So I don't need to worry, is God angry with me? Let me tell you this morning, he is not. 
He is so in love with you that he would send Jesus at the appointed time in history to do away with the temporal and to bring the eternal. He is so in love with you, church. I don't want that to deflect back and come back. I want you to receive it in here this morning. I don't want you to just go, yeah, God loves us. No. Don't miss this opportunity to hear. God is so in love with you. He did it all for you. That's our God. Amen? Now, Jesus' blood covers us and we become clothed in Christ. I want you to think about that for the moment. So in the garden, Adam and Eve were clothed by animal skins, the first sacrifice. And then the temporal sacrifices of the priests over and over, daily sacrifices, is a temporal clothing of the blood. But Jesus covers us and we become clothed in Christ, under God's covering and protection as his children. So I want us to look at a scripture now, a passage of scripture, of how this change happened from the old covenant to the new covenant. Let's read Galatians 3, 23 to 28. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. I want you to think about that, church. We were held in custody of this temporal sacrifice day in, day out. We were held in custody by the enemy. Locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Verse 24. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. So the law locked us up. And it was looking after us as our guardian. Okay? Verse 25. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So we talked about that word dwelling and how there was a covering. To pitch a tent, there was a covering. So no longer am I clothed and locked up by the law. I'm not clothed with sin, a sin dominion anymore. I'm not locked up by that anymore. It tells us their church that we were before under law. But now... As a believer, as it accepting the sacrifice of Jesus, accepting the body, accepting the blood, accepting that it was perfect, because God accepts it as perfect. And once we've done that, in Christ Jesus, we are clothed in Christ. Not locked up, not clothed by sin, but clothed now in Christ. That's the, the tent, the tabernacling. We're covered we're clothed in Christ. We're not naked like in the garden. The glory has returned. The glory of Christ has now clothed us. 
You remember in the garden how Adam and Eve walked around clothed in glory. They were naked. They didn't see uh, themselves for who they were. They didn't see sin. They didn't understand. They were clothed in glory. And you are clothed in Christ, in his glory. We are under that tabernacle. We are under that dwelling. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All one. If you're sitting here this morning, you say, that's not me. I'm not clothed in Christ. I'm not clothed in glory. You're wrong. All, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You have all been clothed with Christ. He has clothed you. So as believers, we're clothed in Christ. We're clothed with the garments of salvation. I love that. I'd love to just share a message on that alone. <laughs> and a robe of righteousness. He clothes us with his glory. Garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness. Let's read Isaiah 61.10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Being clothed in Christ means we dwell in him and he dwells in us. Being clothed in Christ means he dwells with us and I dwell with him. We are together, abiding together, dwelling together, tabernacling together. And I love that. So for the Christian, if you've asked Jesus into your heart, that's everyone here. For the Christian, abide in him means to dwell in intimate communion with the resurrected Christ. When we say abide in him, what does that mean? It means we are in intimate communion with the resurrected Christ. In the same way as Jesus himself, as he was here on earth, lived in unbroken communion with God. It's hard for us to get our head around it. I'm still trying to, I've got an example I'll show you, but I'm still trying to get my head around it. But as the word dwelt among us in flesh, he was still in intimate communion with God. And under the new covenant of grace, that's exactly where we are, in intimate communion with our God. Let's look at John 14, 10. Do you not believe me? These are Jesus' words. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That's that intimate communion that Jesus had. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And church, that's what we have. I'm going to show you an example in just a second. John 14, 19 to 20. 
Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, sometimes when we read those passages, that like our minds can't even grab at what, what's going on. There's I am in, he is in, she in. You know, it's kind of all over the place. But I want you to get hold of it this morning, church. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father. This is Jesus talking. Jesus is in God. Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are in intimate communion together. Three in one, perfect triune God. And you are in me. Jesus is saying, you are also in me, in Jesus. So we've got perfect unity with a triune God. And then we have Christ, our relationship with Christ. I am in Christ, and then Jesus is in us. It's not, he's not just coming and going. He's not just, we're going to call on him today and he'll enter the room. There is an intimacy like you cannot even imagine, church, where the Holy Spirit dwells in me. And I am in Christ, and Christ is in God, and we together are in communion. That is our relationship. That is our relationship with God. That's how much He loves you, church. That's how much he loves you. That he did not want to stay outside here with a temporal covenant. He wants to be our God. He wants to be intimate. He wants that 24-7 connection. He wants you in the throne room. He wants to dwell in you. You in him and him in us. That's our God. That's abide in him. And we feel like we miss the mark, but you don't, church. You don't miss the mark. That's the intimacy. We are no longer separate. There's no longer that distance where God dwelt in a tabernacle outside or on a mountain or away from us. He is in here, and we are in him. Amen? We're encased in the covenant. You can't do anything to break out. He has tabernacled with you. He has covered you with his security and his protection and his love, and you are that intimate with God, united in communion together, hidden in Christ. And I love that that picture the Holy Spirit showed us. I can't see me. I'm hidden in Christ. I'm hidden in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how does this living by faith, how does this abiding in him outwork in my life as a believer? It's simple, really. I simply walk out each day knowing who I am in Christ. How do I know who I am in Christ? I read the word of God. I spend time in his word. I follow the leading of the spirit with obedience. Lynn talked about that this morning. Dying to ourselves and following what the spirit wants us to do in obedience, surrender. And I stand secure in the eternal covenant that I have with God. He's done all the work, church. He's done all the work. And we just need to abide in him and realize who we are as children of God. Realize our position that we are hidden in Christ, surrounded, encased in this covering of our beautiful God because he is our God and I am his child. To hear more podcasts from Grace Church Australia, make sure you subscribe and stay connected by going to gracegathering.online.